The opinions expressed on That's a Foul do not reflect the view of any organization to which the host or guest are affiliated or employed. Welcome to That's a Foul. In today's show, we have our friend Levon Dermengian join us for a two-part series. In part one today, Levon shares his thoughts on the excitement of refereeing internationally, what he's working on with USA Water Polo right now, and then you're going to hear a few things about Levon I bet you didn't know. Part one of this two-part conversation starts right now. Sports are an integral part of my life, specifically officiating. I've met a lot of interesting people on deck and on the sidelines. From referees to evaluators, coaches to administrators, and players to fans, each one has a story to tell. And that's a foul podcast is the place to tell it. Each episode, we'll dive into personal and professional lives to see what they can share to make us all a little better tomorrow. I'm Chad Packer, and this is That's a Foul. Before we begin today, got a quick note for you. Lavon and I talked for about an hour and a half for this piece. If you've been listening to other episodes, you probably noticed I have a bit of a stutter. I tried my best to edit those out, but I wanted to express my appreciation up front for your patience with that. As Levon and I started our Zoom call, we spent some time catching up before jumping into the water polo side of our conversation. Look at that professional equipment you I'll got. I'll tell you what, man. We don't play around. I go all in, dude. <laughs> that is cool. So oh. you said you had, uh, you had family come into town this, this weekend from Vegas? Is that what you said? Yeah, they just couldn't take the quarantine anymore and said, you know, we're going to come out to the beach. So they, the night before, they got a hotel in Manhattan Beach and, um, and they came out, and which, was, which was great. Had a good time biking on the beach, uh, had some good food. Yeah, it was good. It was, it was much needed. I'll say that. That's for sure. Yeah, like what is a day? I mean, you're talking to a guy from Cincinnati. What is a day at the? I know what a day at the beach is for me. It usually involves a lot of alcohol and and sunburns. But I mean, like, what is a day at the beach for somebody that that is in California? Kind of same alcohol is usually involved too, right? You lay out on the sand. Um, usually, there's food, alcohol, some people watching uh, out there. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, bike riding. There's walking. There's shopping area. The shops had opened up. Um, even though they were still, you know, they had their thing where you had to, you know, only a certain amount of people were allowed inside and the social distancing stuff, but, uh, they had to open up the shopping, which was nice. So yeah, a lot of them still the same, I'm sure as Ohio. <laughs> yeah. Our, uh, our gyms opened up last Tuesday, which is fantastic. Okay, I, I, I needed I to get for us yet. No. Okay. No. Yeah. But I'm sure we'll get there pretty soon here. So so do you, do you have any hobbies outside refereeing that keep you busy that are kind of your, your decompression? Uh, normal hobbies. Uh, I, I do have normal hobbies. Uh, uh, for the like, last several years, I've really tried to pick up my golf game, um, even though it's not picking up as fast as I want to pick up. <laughs> um, uh, it, during this quarantine, I've become a, a mechanic um with my cars i've been working on my cars uh, a lot um and that's one of the things i think uh, interests me now i think that's a new hobby that i picked picked up from the quarantine 
uh, what else? I, I like, um, recently, uh, tennis has been another one that I've uh, tried to pick up and hopefully that'll help me shed some of this weight. That's another one. <laughs> but, uh, even though you wouldn't know it by looking at me, I try to be as active as I possibly can. I'm really an outdoors guy. I like being outdoors as much as possible. So anything that re requires outdoor, we talked about, uh, being at the beach. I love, uh, anything beach related. That's one of the things uh, I enjoy a lot. So, I don't know that I know what you do besides all this water polo stuff. Yeah, my family has a, a small trucking company okay. that uh, I've been involved with ever since I was, uh, I remember I was 16 and I was going uh, into our offices and uh, and uh, working and helping out. So um, that's what we do. We do. Um, we do uh, building materials, so we'll uh, we'll deliver rocks, sands, gravel to construction sites uh, all around Southern California. If your mom or dad saw you on deck, what would they be most proud of? I think they would probably be be most proud of uh, my. Uh, I would say my deck presence, my the way I carry myself, the way I, um, exude confidence and, um, have control of the situation. Uh, I, I think they would probably appreciate the most that, that it looks like that knowing that I am controlling a situation that looks like a very confusing and hostile situation. And, um, and I'm managing that well. And, uh, the game comes out to a, pleasant outcome, even though people, let's say, might be upset, but uh, I handle it with professionalism. I, I'm cool, and the game um, the game goes, as, as far as they know, as planned, and uh, everybody's safe, and away we go. I would say that would probably be what they would be most impressed about. How did you get into refereeing? I mean, uh, so like my dad was a was an umpire, basketball, all that stuff. So I was kind of born into. I started refereeing soccer when I was eleven. Mm -hmm. uh, how how did you get into refereeing? Like, how did you find that that was your niche as opposed to playing or coaching or administration or something like that? I remember I was in high school. I was in ninth grade. There was a there was some kind of bulletin. I forget exactly what kind of bulletin it was, but it was a bulletin where they would, uh, you know hey, today this is what's going on on campus kind of thing. And one of them was during a off break, there was an umpire who was going to come and um, you can learn to be an umpire, a baseball umpire, and, uh, and work uh, games, make money. So I go, huh, that's, that's interesting. Um, so just I said, you know what, why not? Let me go and see what's going on. And so I went, uh, stuck, struck up a great conversation, uh, with this umpire who happened to be one of my neighbors. He he lived, he lived one street over. Awesome. It was awesome. <laughs> um, and so he, he invited me to come out and to, uh, to watch him umpire a game, which I did. And it was close by to our, uh, our neighborhood. And, um, after I watched him, I, you know, I, I thought, you know, this is interesting. And I can make some money on the side. So I did that for a few years, you know, I was 14, 15 years old and I would, you know, umpire little guys, you know, eight, nine, 10 or whatever. Um, and I thought I did pretty well. I had a calm demeanor. Um, I let the game come to me. Right. And I would, uh, I would do, I think a decent job of resolving issues, um, even at that age. And so when it came to, because I, I played high school water polo um, 
and club uh, starting from um, my freshman year. So when I was in high school, when I was in a senior in high school, and I knew going into community college, I think you know what I'm. I, I think I need to focus on something else. Um, and so when I did, when I was focusing on my studies and um, and where I wanted to do uh, as a career, I uh, decided I, I still wanted to stick with water polo somehow. Uh, I just didn't know if I wanted a coach or referee. And I, as I looked more into it, I said, you know, I, I've already done some officiating. I've done umpiring. So let's see how that works out. So at 17, before I graduated high school, I started refing water polo. I started refing at high school, at the high school level first. And then shortly after that, I, start, I signed up with the USA water polo. And uh, from there, it just, it just took off. And I was just so happy that I, uh, for me at least, chose the officiating route because I, I don't know if I would be as good of a coach as I am a referee. <laughs> the second half of our conversation finds us getting into what it's like to be a referee in California where there is so much water polo. We also talked about Levon's international experiences and what's happening with the new rules. As you sit here today, what what are your thoughts on the on the fall? Maybe high school, maybe college. I don't know. Do you have any just, I mean, best guesses? We just found out that the community college um, out here is going to do a, which is kind of strange because I don't understand it. I got to, I, I guess somebody has to explain it to me of um, they decided to do a regular season, but no playoffs. I don't get that. So yeah, that's that's what we've heard from community college, and that's all we've heard from in the collegiate ranks. High school hasn't make, made a determination yet. I'm leaning towards that there will be some kind of seasoned slash maybe shortened season. That's what I'm I'm leaning towards from what I gather so far. I just I still don't get that uh, no playoffs deal. I. I'm <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to rack my brain. What could it be that you don't have a state or championship, maybe the, tra- the traveling, but you'd have to travel anyway to play other teams. So I don't get it. What, what does high school look like? I know uh, like in Chicago, they are playing Monday through Thursday and then Friday, Saturday tournaments and then Monday through Thursday. Now maybe you're not playing every Monday, but there are games every day of the week. Whereas here in Cincinnati, we just kind of play Tuesdays and then weekends. Like, is there, is there stuff just all the time? All the time. The only time that we don't have high school is Sunday. Sunday, it's just like an off day. There's a mandatory off day. But uh, Monday through Friday, heavy, uh, I would say, dual contests. I think that's what they call them, uh, dual matches. And, uh, and then on uh, Sunday, uh, Saturdays, you do have some matches, uh, not as much, but then you do have uh, t- uh, heavy tournaments. And then, of course, those tournaments start sometimes even on a Thursday. But Friday, Saturday is usually the thing. Um, it's just they're just so overlapping. There's just so many. It's, it's crazy to get to. So it's just jam-packed Monday through Saturday. Absolutely. I just what, What's it like being a referee out there where it seems like you would force yourself to say no because – you're always like here. I always say yes, because there's so few opportunities. I mean, talk about what, what that's like, especially if you're a younger referee who wants to aspire to be at the level that maybe that you are now. I mean, how do you, what do you, what do you tell them about that balance? 
you if you if you're starting out and you're a new referee you want to take uh, every opportunity you can get uh, the the ones the referees have been around for a while they tend to pick and choose uh, definitely more than the younger referees when you have so much water polo going on at the same time so like let's say for example in the boys season you have uh, you have the boys season for high school then you have the community colleges you have both men and women community colleges then you throw in the other conferences like your sky conference d3 then you throw in your um, wwpas your gcc and the mpsf referees are stretched out so thin it's not uncommon for a referee on on one particular day to go to three different levels on a single day uh, I know uh, myself, I, I've done, let's say, I'll go from an MPSF match at 11 a.m., then jump over to a community college game, let's say a little tournament game, where, and I'll have like a 1 and 2.15, game, two games in a row. And then from there, I'll take off to do a high school game at 5 p.m. Uh, and so you have three different uh, levels of water polo in a single day. So it's, it's, it's pretty much nonstop for anyone who wants to be that active. I can't think of another sport in the U.S. that <laughs> that has something like that, which is to say, for the most part, outside of that, outside yeah. of your area, probably, even, I don't even know if it gets all the way up into NorCal, it's like your, your water polo world is just so different than everybody else's experience, especially from a referee standpoint, you know? Right. Well, you know, NorCal has similar issues, San Diego is similar, but I would say because of the, the, the amount of community colleges and the amount of the Division three colleges out here and the different conferences, I would say Southern California, specifically LA and Orange County, if you're refereeing that area, it's, it's insane. It's insane. So it's, it's really something truly um, crazy to experience if you if you're a referee yeah i was reffing um uh jo's a couple of years ago and jo's for us here is just like it i mean it is the tournament i mean it's it's a crazy wild fun tournament something you need to experience but i was talking to a guy and he said you know for for a lot of us jo's is just another week-long tournament i mean you know we were up so and so doing this tournament and two weeks from now we're going out there and again from somebody outside of california it's just so foreign to right. think about JOs is like it is the Olympics for right. you know Midwest teams like that's where we're going because that's that's the only game in town and a lot of these teams are like yeah we lost on Sunday but then we just got into another got into another tournament next week and you know it's <laughs> right. it's it's bizarre it def- it's definitely it's considered for sure the Super Bowl of age group water polo I would say mm-hmm. all the the club teams are working towards a, a junior Olympics and, and then the it, it resets right the the season of USA water polo or age group resets after JOs and they go into uh, then the next phase and they work towards the next JOs uh, but you're right because uh, for so many referees in Southern California and in California in general JOs is just a slightly longer tournament than what they're used to. It's not anything, you know what I mean? But right. for somebody else coming from another part of the country, it is, it's like main event. We don't get this kind of action ever, right? So, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great point. When you go to travel to represent the United States, what are some things you appreciate and what are some challenges? Like, 
I don't know that a lot of the referees know that you guys don't get paid when you go to those international events. Right. A hundred percent. You don't get paid if it's a FINA sponsored tournament. If it's a UANA sponsored tournament, you don't get paid per game, but you do have, um, like you said, your, your expenses are covered. And usually there's some kind of per diem, whether it's from FINA, uh, the governing bodies themselves, or if it's from USA water polo recently, what we've done in USA water polo is, is that, uh, we give a, a per diem for our referees that go, um, overseas or to another country to um to referee tournaments so per diem is there uh, expenses are covered but no no game fees um what i enjoy the most well one of the things that stick, sticks out to me when i go to a tournament uh, international tournament is the feeling of i am representing the united states it's just it's just an overwhelming honor for me to to stand in between two different countries who are playing and my name gets called out as the referee from, let's say United States. They, they usually call out the country and they say, Hey, and this is the referee. Um, that feeling is just something that I can't, uh, it's just such a special feeling for me. And I'm just so proud. Um, I would say that is the most uh, joy that I get. And also um, the different styles of water polo, the different styles of coaching, um, in the United States, I would say that we we're just used to a specific type of play and players that we all usually, if you look at it, if you step back, you kind of look at it and we usually play the same style, you know, sure. but when you get, when you get out, it's just, you see so many unorthodox plays and, and talent and you're just like, Oh, okay. That's, that's interesting. <laughs> I think the, the easiest example would be the Japanese press. Yeah, I heard about that. Where when when the Japanese came here uh, several years ago and they were just playing these uh, college teams, I remember I went and I did uh, the USC game when they played USC. Uh, they ran this high press where they would just give up front water, and I'm like, what? <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> like, you know. So that's just like one example. I think that's the clearest example. So many people um, think about, but uh, yeah, the other the challenges when you get out there is language is i think number one you have so many referees who their english is is pretty poor they just speak no english whatsoever uh, for example i went to a tournament in 2015 in italy called the habawaba which is a 12 and under tournament and it is massive it is unreal you have teams from uh, italy hungary serbia greece all over they come and we're in just one compound in Italy and in this, the city, which is about 45 minutes um, east of Venice, Italy. It's like this beach town. It's kind of, it kind of reminded me of Panama city beach where, you know, in the summer it's, it's just lively. It's crazy. But then in, in the winter times, it's, it's a ghost town. So luckily this tournament was when it was lively and it was, it was awesome. But, um, yeah, I was the only American referee at the time, and it was it was me and all the other Italian referees. Which, and most of the Italian referees were somewhere between eighteen and I would say twenty two in that age range. And out of those referees, I think maybe two or three spoke any English at all. Wow. So with <laughs> with the other referees, I had to you know like sign language and try to or hoping that there was an interpreter there. Um, but, uh, yeah, language is definitely one, um, 
knowing the ins and outs of the country, you know, you want to go and travel and see the country on your off time. That could be a challenge too, because you just don't know um, what to expect. You try to do some homework beforehand, but until you get there, it's not, I remember Peru. Uh, when I went to Peru for a junior um, Pan Am tournament, uh, I think the hotel was five miles from the airport. It took us, I think an hour and 10 minutes with the bus to go wow. five miles. If, if I remember uh, correctly, uh, it was ridiculous because it was the traffic, even though you hear the traffic is bad, it, it was unreal when you got there. Um, and so the, you know, it, yeah, but it's just overall, it, I would say it's such an honor and joy to go and to be able to travel and represent your country to mingle and build this these relationships with these referees because we are representing the United States and you want to leave a good impression uh, in on the host country the organizing um, committee and then also your colleagues in in that uh, tournament so when you go to those I mean you're you're doing maybe one game a day maybe two is that Usually it's one, um, the, the tournaments that I've went to is you can, you pretty much can bank on just one game, but then there's always a, a day where a referee or two will work two games and it's a round robin. It'll keep switching. Okay. Uh, but you definitely should bank on just one game unless you screw up and next thing you know, you're not having any games and you're goal judging. So <laughs> yeah. how do you get, focused for that i mean the initial sprint you don't have a game to get caught up on the one game you're doing what do you are you watching a lot of video do you do a lot of prep work before do you really go find that space over there and get yourself into the game before i mean like what are some of the routines that you use to get ready because like i said you got 32 minutes that's it man and that's your day and if you if like you said if you screw up you know you got a really comfortable seat over there at the gold judge line Right. And I think it's different when it comes to which level I'm officiating. Right. I, I think, um, let's say for collegiate and especially D1, uh, referees for the most part, try to do as much homework as possible in D1 because it's just, it's so important. It's the highest level of water polo that we have in the country. So not to do your homework, um, before getting to the pool deck is just a really big, it's a disservice to the game and to the players. Um, so I would say we have the luxury um, in D1, specifically MPSF, to watch our our games. And not only our own games, but there's a library where the coaches upload the games and you can go watch anybody's uh, matches. So um, as far as I know, uh, most of our referees in the D1 who work who are working in the MPSF conference watch a ton of video. They want to educate themselves so that they know what to expect when, when they get to a game. I think that's just super important. Uh, when it comes to age group, you know, you just never know what you get sometimes. Um, and like you said, yeah, you do have times where you know, you're caught off guard uh, and it takes you a game or two to um, – to get going. I think the biggest key for me is that I come back, I always come back to consistency. If you try to be consistent, you know, yes, you'll, you'll make some bad calls here and there, but it, overall, if there is a consistent flow to your game and hopefully with your partner as well, um, it will pick up, right? Your, your, your timing will pick up your, your, your calls that you think that you're missing or your, your timing is late on those calls will pick up. Um, I, I think uh, that is uh, that is key. It's just trying to try to build. One of the examples that I always use is uh, chess players, right? Chess chess players. 
professional chess players, they have to think 20 or 30 moves ahead for their opponent. For us, it's the opposite. Like you have to have a running log of 30 moves behind you, right? Of like what was called. And if you see something similar to that, then you, you need to make that same call. Um, it's not just a snapshot, right? You're not just going from one uh, front court to the next front court. And okay, so this front court's done. Now that's over with. Now we're going to this front court. It's it's a much big, it's not a picture. It's a movie, right? It's uh, um, and so you have to be, you have to think of it that way. Um, so you can have a, not only a consistent game, but a game that flows. I'm going to write that down. It's not a picture. It's a movie. It's good <laughs> Gold. Now you're doing a lot of, a lot of leadership stuff. I know you've done, uh, you've been on that NFHS board for quite some time. How do new rules get written? Like, I think there's probably some new NFHS stuff coming out here for the 20 through 22 rule book. How does it go from an idea to a discussion to something written down? So it is first, um, it is proposed. So rules can be proposed by the committee members. Um, and for this particular year, we, we proposed, I believe all of them, if I'm not mistaken, uh, I, I, I proposed many of them, uh, our chairman of the rules committee, Christine Pally, who is the assistant commissioner here in Southern California for the state uh, sport association called CIF. Uh, she proposed many of them. And uh, when, when they're proposed, we discuss. So anytime there's a proposal, they're all discussed. So we, we get on a uh, phone conference now, which used to be an in-person, but now it's phone conference, especially during this pandemic. Uh, we get on a phone conference and the, we, we go down the list. We just, then we, each rule proposal comes up. We discuss it. Um, some of them are pretty easy and there's not much discussion. We go straight to a vote. Some uh, require a lot of discussion. And then it's just an up and, up and, or up or down vote to see um, if there's a majority. And if there is, it passes. Once a, a rule passes, it's not final yet. It still has to go out to the membership which is your, for, for NFHS, it's the high schools, just to see if there are any uh, opposition or any concerns to a particular rule. Uh, once there are none, or if there is, if there are some concerns, once those are discussed, uh, the executive committee of NFHS then does a final approval, which becomes, uh, which becomes rules. We are very thankful this year um, that we got majority of the new rules from international and USA water polo passed with NFHS. We think it's just, it's just so beneficial to not only line up the rules, we feel that these rules make sense for the youth level um, and for NNC2A as well. So it just, it just makes sense for everyone to play under these new rules because overwhelmingly they're popular. People like them. And so it was just really important that we got those passed. What is the challenge in aligning all of the rule books? The thing with that, Chad, is that even though we try to get as close to each other as possible, there is, we, it's, it's going to be very difficult to get all 100%. Uh, for example, NC2A committee over the years, and there's been different committee members, right? And I'm not just speaking specifically about the committee members that are there now. Um, they feel that they, and, and they as well they should, right? They feel that they do rules that benefit them, that makes the most sense for the collegiate athletes. 
I have a different opinion. <laughs> I think that um, the the FINA rules will be just as beneficial in the NC2A game, but uh, it, it's been pretty difficult for the members and past members to uh, buy into some of those FINA r- rules that we feel that would benefit everybody. And for one, one example, like I, I just, it just bothers me so much as a referee is the brutality rule uh, for NC2A. The brutality rule is a penalty shot in a six on five. You know, the player, of course, it's, it gets excluded for the remainder of the game. But for me, that's not a harsh enough penalty. That's not a deterrent. I, it's just, for me, it's, it's, it's insane. For FINA, it makes plenty of sense. It's not only do you get a penalty shot, but you're playing a man down for four minutes. That's a huge penalty. Um, and that, for me, is a deterrent. And I, I, that's something that I think would be very simple for us to, to get on the same page, but we haven't been able to. So. What's something you're working on right now as the national referee manager for USA Water Polo? We are definitely trying to do our part, USA Water Polo, um, especially with the the sanctioning um, and the point system that we have with the code of conducts. So if a coach or player, if they get a red card, misconduct, brutality, these are points that accumulate in their profile and they could lead to suspensions. And this is this is for correcting behavior, right? If, if we don't have this kind of program in place uh, to correct behavior, that issue will never um, will never solve itself. So I think we're moving in a direction where uh, we we're holding people accountable that um, that go that go beyond what is appropriate when it comes to players and coaches. So, you know, we're, we're hoping to get there. Um, we, we hope that, uh, you know, that you're never going to get away from coaches being angry and, um, and red cards and brutalities and misconducts. But if we can minimize them, uh, that is the goal. We can continue to minimize them. All right. Hey, I'm trying my best to keep these conversations between 25 and 35 minutes. We're going to go ahead and call it a show at this point. In part two next week, LaVon talks more about his leadership and will give us all some tools to use if the game you're refereeing starts to go sideways. Thanks for listening today. I know life is busy and there's a ton of things to be doing, so it really does mean a lot to me that you took the time today to listen. Until next time, y'all, be good to the refs. Shout out to our friend and fellow referee Adam Carroll for That's a Foul theme music. If you like what you heard today, tell a friend where to find us and follow us on your podcast service. As always, you can find show notes and other topics covered on today's show on our website, tafpodcast.com. <laughs>